0: Welcome everyone to episode number 34 of the Average Ontario Anglers Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse, and I'm with, as always, the one and only man with a mustache, Andrew. Hello. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. We strive for the Average Ontario Anglers Fishing Podcast to be fun, informative, inspiring, and (laughs) of course, entertaining. If we were boring, you wouldn't want to listen to this.
1: But mostly inspiring.
0: This is like chicken soup for the fisherman's soul. It's true. (laughs) We do hope that you do learn something when you listen to our podcast or at the very least if you know everything, because there's guys out there that know everything, at least enjoy yourself while you're taking your commute or you're relaxing at home or even some of you guys and girls listen to us at work, which is great. That's what this podcast is all about. Today's episode is a special one because this is the Frightening Fishing Fears podcast. Today we are going to scare you. We're going to unlock a few new fears that Canadian anglers have to deal with. But before we do that, we would just like to thank all the previous sponsors, giveaway sponsors that we had for our first season. Actually, season one is coming to an end. Mm -hmm. We're a few episodes away, and then we're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we're going to start with season two. We have a lot of exciting news for that, but we're going to cover that later. But we would like to thank all of our podcast sponsors that we had over the last 34 episodes so far. It's awesome working with local companies. And a lot of you guys and girls have won some pretty awesome prizes. So that's amazing. But before we get into the main topic, we have an interesting fishing fact. And for that, we have the one and only Andrew.
1: Well, it's not an interesting fishing fact. So we failed our listeners again.
0: (laughs) All right. Your rating already is, um, it's going to be a T minus. Also on our last interesting fishing fact, when I talked about musky teeth and Andrew gave me a 91, I actually had three people message me and say that was Total bull. It was a 91 and a half. It was at least a 93. Anyway, go ahead. What are you doing? (laughs) I am
1: doing a story time.
0: Ooh, story time. I love story time. So this one, uh, you know,
1: in doing a bit of research for today's podcast, I remembered something that I had experienced years ago, and I I don't remember if you were there. I think I think you were, but we were, I was fishing up north uh, lake. I used to fish all the time for pike, and I had caught a, a uh, about twenty four inch pike or something like that. We'd keep the small ones; you would flay them up. We got pretty good at flaying them. The meat on a pike is delicious; it's very good. So I'm sitting there at the boat launch, and I'm flaying this pike, and all of a sudden, right beside me, this like branch like shatters and rocks I'm like. That's weird. I look down. It's like a, an 18 inch, maybe, you know, three quarter inch around stick. I'm like, that's weird. It just fell out of the tree, like right beside me. Hmm. So I didn't think anything of it. You know, it was odd. It wasn't windy, but whatever. And then like 30 seconds later, another one hits like right off my other shoulder, like right in the ground beside me, other side. I'm like, what the heck? Like, this is so bizarre. I, I, I got real confused. I turned around and look up and what do I see? But an osprey nest on top of a pole about 20-30 feet behind me but the thing is like it's sitting like 40 feet in the air right yeah so I look and I just see this osprey and I don't know if you've ever seen a bird of prey stare at you but it looks hilarious and intimidating at the same time (laughs) and so I just see this osprey with his giant yellow eyes just staring into my soul and I'm like that's so like is he throwing it I don't I've never heard of this before and his head disappears comes back with a branch in his mouth and just whips it at me (laughs) So while i'm trying to fly this pike as fast as possible this osprey is just like pelting you with sticks <laughs> from the nest
0: so he's mad that you caught his fish
1: yeah so what i do is like i kept the fillets and then i just like tossed the the i shouldn't say this because technically illegal although i did not know at the time you're not supposed to throw the reins of your fish into the water but i threw it into the shallow water and the osprey came down and got it so are you friends now I don't think so. Yeah, he's, he's probably long dead right now, <laughs> unfortunately. But that's, I was thinking of, you know, different fears or different uh, dangers that we could encounter and ospreys, I didn't think would ever be on that list, but had I been looking straight at one of those sticks, I could have, you know, taken my eye out with yeah, that. I could have been impaled. <laughs> that's so a funny. One. Yeah, I don't know if anyone else has ever experienced, experienced that because, you know, you always see them. We fish the corth, There's a lot. Yeah. And on every single lake you go to, you have an osprey that comes down and you know, you'll see him scoop up something out of the water and like, ah, oh, I got to go fish that spot because that's where the fish are, obviously.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I always like when you see the ospreys and you're just having a terrible day fishing and they <laughs> dive down right in front of you and catch a fish. You're like, come on. <laughs> Show off. That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love story time because got a lot of people that are like, you guys have been fishing together so long. You must have a lot of stories. It's like, we have a ton of stories. <laughs> Most of them are terrible, <laughs> but that was a good one. So I thought because we have a lot to cover today because it's so spooky Mm -hmm. and scary. But before we get into that, we would just like to thank our Patreon members. Yes. So these cool people donate a few bucks every month to help us cover our monthly expenses of running this weekly show. Now you may think, these guys are just talking to a microphone. How much could it cost? It's not a lot, but it's not a little either. So we do thank all the people and I'm going to name their names right now. We really appreciate you guys chipping in to help us put a dent in the cost. We have our friend... Uh, Ted, we have Frank, Daniel, John, Matthew, Blair, Conrad, Earthquake, Jason, and of course Wes from Wham Bates who is a gold member (laughs) just just because he's a cool guy. But I'm sure all those other guys are really cool too. So we do appreciate all those people that are pitching in to support our expenses for running the show on a weekly basis. Now onto the main topic. I thought we could start off with a quick and easy question, Andrew. What is fear? How would you describe it?
1: Oh, that's super easy to describe something so vague.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd say fear is. Okay, let me let me tell you because I looked it up. <laughs> fear is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Makes sense. Sounds like anxiety to me. <laughs> it is. You may get anxiety from having fear. Oh. So I didn't know this. There are three different types of fear, and you may have had one of these while fishing. There's three types. One is called rational fear. And that occurs where there is a real imminent threat. And example, someone running at you with an ax. <laughs> <laughs> that is rational fear because your mind is like, that's bad. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Okay. The next one is called primal fear. And primal fear is, the, is defined as an innate fear that is programmed into our brains. Uh, basically like a sense that we have. And you may think of something like, you know, when you sense that someone is a psychopath, you know, you just have that feeling and it it causes fear. That is feeling it right now. Yeah, (laughs) that is called a primal fear. Another primal fear is just something built into us. Mm -hmm. It would be like the fear of snakes because, you know, it's passed down through generations like, oh, snakes are bad and you're afraid of them. And it may be something that you've never seen before, but you're instantly afraid of them. That's called a primal fear, something Mm -hmm. built into you. And the last one is called an irrational fear which is the funniest one. Well, not funny. If you actually have an irrational fear, I apologize, but irrational fears That's are the right. ones. Your
1: fears are a joke to Jesse.
0: <laughs> now, now
1: are you, you know, mad at me for giving me a poor rating? This guy is hating on people with yes. irrational fears.
0: <laughs> if you're afraid of clowns, I don't care. <laughs> anyway, irrational fears are ones that don't make logical sense. They can vary greatly from person to person. So uh, one is clowns. That's a common one. It doesn't make sense. They're supposed to be happy, but you look at them and you're like, holy crap, that thing is terrifying.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: That is an irrational fear. Another one, uh, I remember watching, I think it was like on a Mari show or Jerry Springer, something like that. And they're like, this woman is terrified of olives. Oh yeah. And she couldn't see an olive. Like that is a perfect example of an irrational <laughs> fear. Okay. So here's a question then. Okay. We were fishing
1: for muskie just like a, a few days ago and I caught a, a muskie and it's like 32 incher. Yeah. And I release it I was talking to you about a fear that I always have whenever we're in musky waters, especially after I just catch a musky, because 100%, I know there's one within 10 feet of the boat, right? Yeah. I just released it. And so you get slime on your hands from handling this fish and I go in the water and I rinse off my hand and I'm splashing my hand in the water beside the boat. I'm always like, what? Like there's always a part of me is like, what if this musky is like sees that splash and he's like, I'm getting back at you. Just like whips around, like bites my hand. Like, would that be a primal
0: or irrational fear See, or rational actually i think that could be all of them because rationally yeah. there is a real danger there is a, a fish that has been known to attack humans nearby With the like boat razor sharp teeth it's also primal <laughs> because as an angler you know that these fish are you know crazy and, and they'll hit boatside. <laughs> and then if maybe you're not an angler and someone told you that they may think of it as an irrational fear because it doesn't make sense so like well why would a fish bite your hand it's a musky. They're crazy. <laughs> they do things. <laughs> so I thought today in this podcast, we could cover five frightening fishing fears and then me and Andrew can decide which type of fear they actually are. Okay. And then the kicker is at the end, we asked a question on our Instagram stories, which by the way, if you're not following us on Average Ontario Anglers on Instagram, make sure you do because we do polls and we ask questions all the time that we discuss on our podcast. We actually had like 70 people send us their biggest fishing fear. So we're going to go through some of those. So to start off, Andrew's going to discuss a crazy and spooky. Well, I guess it's not spooky. It's more <laughs> like it's scary though. It's a fishing fear. So I don't know what it is because we didn't discuss this before. Okay. So what is this? I'm
1: expecting something terrifying. Right, so. Okay. I want you to imagine the scene.
0: Okay. I'm here.
1: There's a, you're, you're taking your canoe, you're going back country fishing and you're going from like one lake to another. And, but the, the water level in this little Creek to get there is like super shallow so instead of portaging you just step out of the canoe and start dragging the canoe through like the shallow water and then all of a sudden lurking below there's an unknown menace oh. you're like oh it's shallow water it's clear it's pristine out of nowhere you feel your foot get pierced with something very sharp and as you recoil in pain it tears even more ugh and on top of all that you have now been poisoned what? This is called the Mad Tom, and it's not the Mad Tom IPA. Because if you Google Mad Tom, it would be like, Muskoka Brewery, Mad Tom IPA. I'm talking about something that's way more dangerous than alcoholism, okay? Okay. (laughs) Although, (laughs) you know, pretty dangerous. I don't know, maybe that's not true. (laughs) So the Mad Tom is a type of catfish. Specifically, we have the Northern Mad Tom here in Ontario. Okay. Its range, like, stretches from, like, down in the States all the way up here. There's over a dozen different types of these like catfish, these Toms, mad Toms. So they are very similar to a catfish. You look at it, you just say catfish. They're brown in color, or like light brown or yellow with some brown splotches on it. Uh, and they have whiskers, you know, a long flat face picture in your head, like a brown bullhead with just cooler color patterns on it. Okay. Now I do have a photo I want to show you, Jesse, and, and I'll probably send it. I don't know if it can be put up on the video, but that is... The skeletal structure of a Mad Tom. It's deadly. (laughs) So those barbs, like that, looks gnarly. That looks like some kind of
0: medieval bone saw.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's pretty scary. So what happens is they actually have poison sacs at the base of the barbs on the pectoral fins and the uh, dorsal fin, just like most catfish have. But the Mad Tom. Uh, thankfully they only grow at about four to six inches long. That's like eight inches, like the maximum ever one's ever been found. They don't live in sediment-rich water. They have to have clean water. So because of a lot of pollution and, and different things, the ecosystems have been messed up. So they're actually on the vulnerable list. They're not quite endangered, but they're pretty close. Uh, there's not many of their natural habitats that they're actually still around in. Hmm. But what would happen is if something was to attack these, these are defensive weapons more than... They're trying to, but if you were walking barefoot through through a creek, there's a chance you could step on one of these, and either their pectoral fins will swing around and get you, or you're step right in the dorsal fin. And what happens is, it on humans, the poison it essentially feels like a, a bad bee sting, so it's not like the worst thing ever. You don't hate like oh, I need to go to the hospital and get anti venom. Like it's it's not like that. But the reason why, and the research I've found, it's called Mad Tom, is because. Uh, different animals and they get stabbed with these things, they start acting mad because it's painful, right? Okay. So they'll start acting crazy because out of the blue, this random catfish that they, that got, they got stabbed by has now made them start to act out. So that's kind of where, apparently that's where they got the name
0: Mad Tom. That's interesting. So, yeah, I've never even heard of those things and I'm glad I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> that New fear unlocked and yeah, I'll tell you, that's why I don't walk barefoot down in the creek. Uh, I like to, you gotta, you gotta live a little, Jesse. Yeah. You gotta feel those nymphs
1: between your toes
0: <laughs> and the mad tongue. You
1: ever have the nymphs, like, like been swimming in a river or something like that. And then you have nymphs in your swim shorts. You're like, oh, what's this like pinching? And, like reach down like on your thigh and like, oh, that's just don't nymph. And like whip it away. No. Yeah. That's, I've had it a couple
0: times. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever want more information about Andrew's pants nymphs, please message him directly. I don't want to have anything to do with this. <laughs> Got nymphs? Yeah. So, what kind of fear is the Mad Tom? What would you say? If you had to pick one of them, is it a rational fear, a primal fear, or an irrational fear?
1: Based on the fact that they aren't very popular at all, and most of the creeks they used to be in, they aren't in anymore, yeah. I would say it's it's
0: more of an irrational fear. I would agree with that. Anyway, so the next fear. Now, that was pretty scary, but that's nothing compared to what I got. <laughs> We're kind of competing here. So- when I think of the most scary thing, the thing that I'm the most afraid of is getting struck by lightning. Mm. Wouldn't you say? That's, that's a, a uh, yeah. right off the bat, that is a
1: rational fear. <laughs> there is
0: a, like all fish through heavy rain, no problem, wind. But as soon as you hear that, you know, that lightning bolt go down and then you hear the thunder just, you know, rumble and you're out in the middle of the lake. You're in a mad dash. You're in a panic at that point. Or, or worse, your fishing line starts to just kind of like float up. Yeah. Or the hairs <laughs> on your arm just start standing up. Yeah. So here are some interesting fishing facts about lightning. So what are the odds of getting struck by lightning? You may have heard, ah, it's a one in a million chance. That's actually fairly accurate, apparently. <laughs> it's one in a million. But in Canada, usually about 10 people die every year from getting struck and killed by lightning. And over 80 are seriously injured. Wow. Yeah. Now, this is an, an interesting fact. There are over 2 million lightning strikes in Canada per year. But if you're not careful, one could find you. So hold on. There's 2 million strikes a year. And- Okay, let's not do the math here. How many
1: people get die and how many people get injured? Up to 10 people die per year. So and that's, that's already like death by lightning strikes in Canada is, was it, no, 200 million you said, lightning strikes. 2 million what? So that's more than, oh, that's even more terrifying. That's
0: like (laughs) only like one in what, 250,000? Yeah. And the sad thing is, or Mm. the crazy thing is if you're an angler, your odds are way higher than if you stay home and read books or play Nintendo. Mm. So fishing out in the middle of the lake with a conductive stick in your hands (laughs) in the middle of the lake, sadly helps your odds go way up. (laughs) So here's some interesting facts about lightning. Lightning strikes last 0.01 seconds but can contain a whopping 10 million volts of energy (laughs) now here's some comparisons you're like oh 10 million volts all i can think of now is just back to the future like great scott (laughs) it's a lot so compare that you have to get back to the boat launch (laughs) birdie asap (laughs) 10 million volts of energy how do you compare that well high voltage power lines are a hundred thousand volts okay So not even close. And an electrical outlet in your house. I'm sure all of us, when we were a kid, we stuck a fork or something in the outlet. That's only 110 volts. Not everyone's as bright as you, Jesse. (laughs) I was bright for a very quick second. So the temperature of lightning is actually around 30,000 degrees on the Kelvin scale, which is five times hotter than the surface of the sun. Okay. Thankfully, it's not sustained like to any extent. (laughs) So that is why getting struck by lightning is bad.
1: Oh, I thought it was
0: healthy. (laughs) It's like "Mm, rejuvenating. (laughs) Yeah. Another successful fishing trip. So the loud clap of thunder and bright flash from lightning can rupture your eardrums if it happens too close. You've ever had the, you're fishing and you see a lightning strike and it seems very close, but it's probably a few kilometers away. There've been instances where it happens very close to someone and actually blinds them because it's so bright Hmm. and uh, thunder can also deafen you, as I mentioned. So even worse, a lightning strike can cause cardiac arrest, which stops the body from circulating blood and injures the brain and nervous system. It can cause respiratory arrest. Basically, it'll knock the air right out of you. So you literally can die. And this can lead to brain hemorrhages and strokes. So it's wow. it's something serious if you get struck by lightning. And again, this happens to people every year. It's just crazy. Now, most this is interesting. Most lightning strikes aren't deadly. So you would think after reading all that information, you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. it's the surface of the sun. It's, you know, a million volts, like whatever. If you get stuck by lightning, you're dead. But in majority of the cases, it just causes very serious injuries (laughs) instead of death, which I don't know if that's a better thing or a worse thing. I'm not sure at this point. (laughs) So they cause long-term health issues, obviously. Uh, Internal injuries, they can burn your body. And I don't know if you've ever seen a burn victim from a lightning and they have like It's like like lightning
1: scars. Yeah. Yeah. Just like crazy. Well, it's just like they have that, uh, what's that technique in like wood burning where they soak a piece of wood, put two nails in and send a current and like all these like cracks of of burning electricity goes through. And that's literally the scarring
0: on your body from a lightning strike. See, Andrew thinks that's that's cool. I just picture Andrew meeting someone who got struck by lightning, heaven forbid. (laughs) And he goes, wow, that's a cool design. (laughs) (laughs) Nice tat, bro. (laughs) Now on a more serious note, If you do get struck by lightning, long-term effects can include seizures, muscle spasms, memory loss, and cataracts from the bright light. Everything about this is terrifying and and scary. Other side effects, which is very interesting, include mood swings, chronic pain, and even personality changes. So imagine this, you're fishing, you get struck by lightning and all of a sudden you just don't like fishing anymore. Imagine getting struck by lightning and now you're afraid of fire. Yeah. So, uh, classic looking, literature. <laughs> as I was looking up this information, I was, uh, I saw a few questions and some of them, you know, when, when you're on Google, there's some questions you're like, who would think that? That's so dumb. You know, this was one frequently asked question about lightning. Some may wonder, is it safe to touch someone who was struck by lightning?
1: <laughs> it's not like they were walking across the carpet with socks on. Yeah. Like, uh, what my lightning? Yeah. lightning? Like?
0: The answer is yes. <laughs> lightning <laughs> victims do not carry an electrical charge and will not... <laughs> You will not be electrocuted by touching someone who has been struck by lightning. It is safe to touch a lightning victim and administer first aid immediately. Now, I know we kind of laughed about this because the odds are very low. Mm -hmm. This is something very serious. 100% be very careful. One of the best things you can do is just keep your eye on the weather and the radar I found. Sometimes though... The, the weather is not correct. You're like, we'll be out. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this big black cloud will come out of nowhere. Cause you know, the weatherman's never right. Mm-hmm. You have to get off the lake as soon as possible. You got to get off because if you're the tallest thing on that body of water, lightning is probably going to hit you. Creating, being like Jesse said, the tallest thing on the body of water or in that area,
1: you're creating a, a shortcut for those electrons to, to match up to with the negatively charged electrons in the sky, in the cloud, and the positive one's like, if you're the tallest thing, that's the shortest route. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's where you are more than what you are as to what's going to get a lightning strike.
0: So what, what type of fear do you think this would be? Rational. R- <laughs> totally rational. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Imagine someone's like,
1: that's irrational. I think lightning's made up. You ever seen the, the, the pictures of the guys, I think it was a graphite rod that got struck by lightning. It was yeah. like sitting on a dock and he's like, it's, it's a like a ball. foam handle and it's like fuzz. <laughs>
0: yeah. You don't want that to happen to you. So that was pretty scary, but the the next one, apparently Andrew said is super scary. So what is the next fear that an average Ontario angler could have to face while fishing?
1: Okay. So I'm going to give you some of the statistics of the creature first. Okay. Do it. It can weigh between 64 and 197 pounds. Okay. So possibly me. (laughs) Uh, It can move at a top speed of 30 miles per hour or more. Not me. (laughs) Uh, it's quite solitary, super stealthy. That's me. <laughs> and now I'm going to give you some of the names. Okay. Sometimes called a catamount, a mountain screamer, a red tiger, a Mexican lion, an American lion, a puma, a panther, or the cougar. Wow. <sighs> So we, we, or mountain lion is another one. Yeah. So these, these are things that we, we've all heard about them. Like, yeah, yeah, Andrew, I've seen BBC's Planet Earth and I've never seen them film them in Ontario. However, in 2017 in Thunder Bay, there was a carcass found of a, on the side of a road of a cougar. In 2021 in uh, Pukaskwa National Park, which is just in the north side of Lake Superior. Okay they had trail cam footage of cougars or of a cougar in 2023 the mnrf confirmed sightings of a cougar in cannington ontario cannington do you know how close cannington is to like us like an hour yeah it's an hour out of the gta wow that's it That's it's crazy. it's south of like cannington is pretty much just west of lake Skugog, like <laughs> So that was found this year. Wow. Confirmed sightings. So they are coming back into Ontario. They do keep a very wide range. so're very hard to get an accurate number of how many there are out there. They're estimated to be anywhere between less than 100 to into the, you know close to a1,000 in Ontario at this point in time. And Ontario is huge, and a lot of them are up north, but they are moving further and further south. They're becoming more popular. Further down. Like I said, Cannington is not far. And sometimes these are just the males. They, they go on long wandering tours and they try and find new territory. So it could just be like passing through and it's gone. It's not there anymore. Maybe, or it could be residents. Uh, the one in Cannington apparently has been around and there were sightings of it for years beforehand. So it sounds like it's a resident Hmm. in that area. So generally they keep away from humans, but if you do get attacked by a cougar and they they happen and when they and down in the states where they're more popular and back in the 1800s when they were kind of all you know there's a big migration moving west panther attacks were were a very rational fear and a real thing that happened and what would, what they would do is they would hide in the trees above the wells where they know that they would come in frequent and they would drop down they're <laughs> just like velociraptors <laughs> So if you're getting attacked or if, if there's one that's that's stalking you because they'll stalk their prey like silently, you won't know it's there. Chances are people there. It, it has seen thousands of people and maybe one person has seen it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they are that <laughs> stealthy. And so you probably won't know it's there until it's two and a half inch claws and 400 PSI bite force and two-inch canines are either in the back of your head or in front of your throat. <laughs> like that thing, when they attack, they are going for the kill. Ugh, this is not hey, like, I'm going to give you a swat. Like they, they're trying to take you down.
0: So as an angler, if you were trout fishing possibly, or mm-hmm. you're fishing, say, in, you know, a provincial park or like backcountry camping, it's a possibility. It, yeah. it may so be a the small they're, one. They're but...
1: not really going to enter, you know, down in the GTA because they're going to, there's not enough space they don't want humans around but the reason why attacks happen in more recent years you know in in the modern times is generally because we're moving across their territory so the people that get attacked are hikers are you know mountain bikers and stuff like that these ones that are out there in the woods and like i said these things can be up in the tree jumping like through trees tracking you. like it's terrifying <laughs> all right
0: that by far is the the most terrifying one so far Because lightning, it is terrible, but it doesn't stalk you. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I give that a terrifying level of nine. And I would say that's a rational fear (laughs) for sure. Not irrational at all. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I'd I'd much rather, that's the thing. if, If you see one, it's because it wants to be seen pretty much.
0: It's not afraid of letting you know it's there. That's and I was going to say, part. the sad thing is it couldn't even be a primal fear because a primal fear is something that we sense. And like you said, <laughs> we won't sense that it's there. <laughs> no. By the time we see it, we're already dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that Oof. was that was pretty crazy. So before we get on to our next scary thing, terrifying thing, I thought right now we could just ask you guys and girls, if you've already given us a review on Spotify or on Apple, you can actually type out a review or if you're on YouTube, Make sure to give us a thumbs up, write us a review. Even if it's a few sentences, we read all of them. It really helps the show grow because it helps us get better ratings and it helps our show get pushed to the top. We really appreciate that. All right. So the next one is, oh my goodness. I don't even want to talk about this one. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing that is terrifying. Absolutely. And you're going to, you're not even going to know what I'm going to talk about. Grass carp.
1: Mm-hmm. They the... are, are you terrified? I I don't want them at all. <laughs> they are
0: an invasive fish that is threatening to invade Canadian waters. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought we could go over just a little bit of information because a lot of people, including myself, didn't know a lot about grass carp. Because like, you know, we have common carp here. A lot mm-hmm. of people fish for them. They've been here a while, but grass carp are something completely different. Yeah. And they're terrifying. So they were introduced to North America in the 1970s. Okay. So, they, you know. They've been here a little bit. Once again, humans are like, let's introduce this thing that shouldn't be here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you may think, why did they, why did we bring them here? Well, there's a lot of lakes that were just choked with weed Mm -hmm. and grass carp eat aquatic vegetation. So they're like, oh, we'll bring these fish in. They'll come and they'll eat the weeds. Problem solved, right? (laughs) Not really. (laughs) So why are they so scary? Well, they eat a lot of weeds. Now that sounds like crazy. You're like, well, that's not... A big deal is it like there's lots of lakes around here that are full of weeds maybe that would be a good idea yeah it's not no and we're going to discuss why and we're going to discuss why it's terrifying there's actually just so you know first there's no established populations of grass carp in canadian waters of the great lakes however this is mm-hmm. the scary part researchers have found evidence of grass carp reproduction in two u.s tributaries of lake erie yeah so, so these fish are in Basically have access to Lake Erie and yeah. all the Great Lakes are connected. So there's no, there's no breeding populations
1: yet discovered in Canada, but the fish themselves have been found in Canada waters. Yeah.
0: Like Lake Erie is part of, even if it, you know, be that side of the lake, it's still a Canada water, I would say. Yeah. Now, why is it such a big deal? You may think, oh, oh their carp came here and it's not a big deal. Well, grass carp, I didn't know this. This is crazy. <laughs> they can eat 40% of their weight every day in yeah. aquatic plants. Yeah. So, I'm not going to make you do math right now, but (laughs) if you had to eat 40% of your weight, how much would it be? Like hypothetically, think in your head if you're listening to Uh, this. Okay. Personally, I'd be eating 90 pounds of vegetation. (laughs) Holy smokes.
1: (laughs) Jesse's like, you need to go on a diet. You need to go to the gym. I am.
0: (laughs) But if you were eating like 90 pounds of solid, you'd probably be fine
1: imagine like how much salad that is though
0: <laughs> yeah so you may think okay they eat a lot of vegetation well here's the thing they grow up to five feet long and weigh 80 pounds yeah so these things are huge they're they're up to five feet long 80 pounds so you have to think that fish that one fish mm-hmm. that is 80 pounds and five feet long eats 40 pounds or 35 35 pounds, pounds a day though. a day in weeds Now, sometimes when we're we're fishing the corthas and, you know, you have to pull up the trolling motor because there's all that weeds. (laughs) Remember that big hunk of weeds you pull off the end and you're like, ah, dang weeds are everywhere. The thing is we need those weeds and we're going to talk about that very quickly. I was going to mention too that it it talks about how much they can clear out. So just 10 grass carp
1: per hectare can reduce aquatic vegetation. So do you know what a hectare is? It's 10,000 square meters. Okay. It's huge. Yeah. So just 10 grass carp can take fifty percent of the weeds out of an area that's ten thousand square meters big. Like think of like the how fast they can grow, how fast they can reproduce with all this food, that is a danger.
0: Yeah. And it's a huge threat to the Great Lakes um, the economy and the, the ecological impacts on the lake is is crazy. And then we're gonna talk to some of this right now. Mm-hmm. So then there's so many negative impacts for so many things the the wildlife in our lakes as well as like the impacts that fishermen actually have like commercial fishermen Mm -hmm. and recreational fishermen like ourselves so grass carp they the funny thing is i didn't know this grass carp they eat all this weed or like aquatic vegetation but they only digest half of that so that's kind of weird right so what do they do with the other all that plant material they eat? they expel back into the water and what does that do it actually decreases the water quality Mm -hmm. so you may have a lake that you know good water quality you know a lot of the lakes with a lot of weeds they have pretty clear water you know it's nice you get some of these grass carp in there they're chewing up weeds and just spinning out like chewed up weeds and the water quality just goes downhill you may you may think you know what there's you know some of the lakes we need fish in there to, for other fish to eat the problem is these grass carp grow so big so fast, fast that any predators in the lakes you have to think a musky. say you have a 45 inch musky, which in mm-hmm. our lakes around here is There's 45-inch muskies and a lot of them. Yeah. (laughs) But they can eat a fish up to a third of their size. Yeah. Okay. Grass carp quickly pass that size. So there's not a lot of musky in the lake. So these fish get so big so fast that nothing can eat them. Ospreys can't pick them up. They're too heavy. Like you can't see an osprey picking up a five-foot fish trying to lift it up. So they get to the point where like fish can't eat them. Birds can't eat them. Mm -hmm. So they're literally unstoppable and they're eating like crazy. So it's actually interesting. So in 2016 and 2017, Fisheries and Oceans Canada, they basically did a risk assessment. You know, what would happen if these fish got into the, the Great Lakes? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go over all this. If you want to look up this information, send us a message and I'll send it to you because it's, it's a very interesting read. Yeah. We're going to have the link in, in down below as well. Yeah. So they, they were just saying how this would severely impact the ecology and the economy. When grass carp come into a lake, they reduce the food and habitat for commercially targeted fish populations, which means that these guys that are going out commercial fishing, they're they're trying to catch fish, mm-hmm. they're not catching as many, okay? That's one thing. They reduce the quality of native fish species, which would affect, you know, anglers that are going out trying to catch them. Mm-hmm. And there's increased operational costs uh, you know, like there's less fish. So these guys are driving around for farther to catch fish and the price of gas and everything. It just, it all affects everything. So it's interesting that they uh, calculated that over 10 years, there would be $244 million in Canada and $102 million in the U S that is the impact that these fish would have. It's like lost profit on the fisheries. Yeah. That's crazy. So there's actually a list, and I think it would almost be easier to mention the fish that having grass carp in your lake would not affect. <laughs> yeah, <'cause laughs> well, not not directly affect. So why don't Andrew has this list too? Why don't we just go through them? This yep. is popular angling species that would be very badly affected. Yes. By having grass carp in your lake. Why don't you start with the first one? The
1: first one is again we talk about commercial fishing walleye. Yeah. Like these, this is the thing that so many guys go out there to fish. But walleye, they uh, spawn in vegetation. So that's where they deposit their eggs is on the weeds. They need them to reproduce. And then they also, uh, they feed. When you, you think of you fishing a local area, the Quartha Lakes, so what do they say to catch walleye? Oh, it's like rip rip jigs. Guess where you're doing that? In, in weeds. In the weeds. So now they can't reproduce. Uh, the carp would eat up to, again, like we said, 40% of their body weight a day. So you're decreasing the spawning amount of spawning grounds and also of your ambush territory for
0: these walleye. Yep. Smallmouth bass. It's just the fact that these grass carp can outcompete many native species. And it's a lot of these. We're gonna go through them a lot quick. But it basically these grass carp, they can dramatically alter the food web mm-hmm. that smallmouth bass rely on to be one of the top predators in the lake. We like, think again, a lot of the Cortha lakes where we fish, smallmouth bass are one of the top predators in the lake. And now they have all this extra competition of these massive fish. And you think of like how it impacts these things, like just it it's getting rid of the
1: food web. So what else is something in our in our lakes that smallmouth eat that that prey almost exclusively eats vegetation? Crayfish. Crayfish eat way more vegetation than they do meat. They're opportunistic feeders, but most of the crayfish are in weed beds. We yep. just don't see them. And these smallmouth are in there picking away. If you get rid of that, the crayfish populations dramatically decrease because that's where they spawn as well. They have to lay their eggs and stuff in, in the weeds. Yep. So now you get rid of that much, much of the crayfish, you're going to have way less food for the smallmouth in that regard too.
0: Yeah. And then some of these fish, we're just going to go through them because they get affected in very similar ways. Mm -hmm. Musky, yellow perch, northern pike, they all spawn on weeds, just like walleye, right? So Mm -hmm. they spawn on weeds. So if there's less weeds, there's less spawning area. And if there's less spawning area, less fish can spawn. And if less fish spawn, there's less fish to catch. It very quickly snowballs into something that is absolutely terrifying if these fish get into our lakes. Imagine
1: largemouth bass fishing, but there's no lily pads to flip or no frogs to fish over top of them.
0: Oh, like, that's terrifying. I don't even. <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. So some of these other fish here, I'm just going to run through some can of I, these quick. Can we read it like a disclaimer? Okay, I'm going to let Andrew read this like a disclaimer. These are fish native species that would experience high to moderate impacts of having grass carp in their lakes. Here we go. Spotted Gar, Long Nose Gar, in Northern rip- northern,
1: rib- northern Belly Days. Brassy Minnow, Redfin Shiner, Golden Shiner, Pugnose Shiner, Bridal Shiner, Black Shiner, Black shiner, shiner, Blaming Shiner, Pugnose Minnow, Lake Chub Sucker, Big Mouth Buffalo, Yellow Bullhead, Crass Pickerel, Northern Pike, Musk Central Mud Minnow, Banded Killifish, Banded Black Striped Top Minnow, Green Sunfish, Pumpkin Seed, warmouth, Bluegill, largemouth Bass, Small Bass, White Crappie, Black Crappie, Least Darter, Walleye, Gizzard Jad, White Sucker, Yellow Perch, yellow perch White Bass. That's pretty good.
0: Yeah, I messed up. I'm pretty but sure we mentioned take. every fish that ever existed. <laughs> <laughs> so that... I know this, this may not sound as terrifying as getting struck by lightning or getting attacked by a cougar, <laughs> but this, in my opinion, this is way more terrifying. This could than wipe out fishing yeah. in, in our local lakes. So you may wonder, what do you do if you catch one? What if you catch one? Do you know what one looks like? Do you personally know what a grass carp looks like? Do you? I, I've I do seen now. pictures. I've never <laughs> seen one I've never in, seen in real life. Yeah. So what do you do if you catch one? That's an interesting question. Well, first of all, of course, we need to know what they look like. Now, we're going to describe them to you, but we're going to put some pictures up on our YouTube if you want to look at them. And we're also going to put links down to the identification guide. So this identification guide will go over exactly what these fish look like and what to do if you catch one. So that's going to be in the show notes below. So invasive grass carp. There's a few features that you can, you can see by looking at them. Why don't you cover the first few, Andrew?
1: They're silver fish. They have very large scales with a dark outline around each scale. And one of their most prominent things you're going to find is they're called a carp, but they still have a jawed mouth. So you don't have a sucker mouth. Um, If you're to describe it, I'd say it looks similar to like a herring kind of mouth. Uh, So it is a fully developed one. And the big thing to help identify even further, that eye looks very peculiar. It's in the center of the head. So if you're trying to identify it and you're, oh, you're looking at it, it, it looks like a weird fish. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> like eye. A, a big, like a fairly large mouth, bright silver with some dark shading around the scales and this eye, like the center of its head, or like right on the side.
0: Yeah. It says eyes are low and sit in line with the mouth. Yeah. And like you said, it's very peculiar. It's not like any freshwater fish that I've seen. Yeah. Very weird. The, the closest
1: thing I'd say it, it looks like is, is a fall fish, but If you look at the two side by side, you'll, you'll see that eye placement is completely different. Yeah. And it's, if you have one in in your hands, it's noticeable. So just by, by taking a look now in advance, you'll now be able to recognize,
0: oh, what is this when you catch it? Exactly. So when you catch one, Mm -hmm. say you think you caught one, Mm -hmm. you're going to quickly look up this ID chart. And it'll actually show you, like what Andrew said, it'll have pictures of this fish so you can positively identify it because this is something serious. These guys wanna know exactly where you caught this fish. So this is what you do. You're gonna go through the ID chart. If all of the identification matches up and you're like, this is 100% a grass carp, 100% and you're 100% sure, what are you gonna do? Well, you're gonna take photographs of the fish from multiple angles with adequate lighting and note your longitude and latitude like know where you are where you're fishing exactly in that body of water you're going to take a bunch of pictures of this fish you're going to call the number there's a number a hotline number right there it's going to be in the show notes below again you have to one thing we have to mention you have to be absolutely sure before you go to the next step that this is a grass carp because the next step is you are not supposed to release these fish no these are to be we don't want them in the water yeah so it says kill the fish without damaging the head or eyes Gut the fish and keep it in a cooler with its head above the ice. Fisheries and Oceans Canada will collect it. They analyze basically the fish and the head and the eyes to make sure if the fish was fertile or sterile. They can tell that yeah. from the test. That's why you don't want to damage the head And its at all.
1: origin too. You yeah. can tell that.
0: Because another thing, big
1: thing is like, how would you say to kill a fish without damaging the head? Because I remember I had heard about these things before. And one of the things, the reason why they want the head in place is because apparently there's an inner ear. Uh, bone structure and you don't want that damaged because that gives a lot of information. Hmm. So just bonking the thing on the head, that can damage that. So they don't want you to damage the head. That's that's pretty important because they want to be able to have the benefit of researching this when they do collect it. I mean, my suggestion would be if you can cut the gills, it's uh, that would, they bleed out rather quickly. It's still gonna, humane. It's It's more humane than, you know, you can't knock it out because you don't want to damage that head, but it's probably the quickest, most humane way than just other than letting a fish just gasp for air for forever. And then yeah. just put it on ice and just keep its head above ice. So yeah. the whole
0: body's underneath the ice, but keep the head above it. So that's what you do if you possibly catch one, because they have been caught. They have caught a few of them in in the great lakes like we mentioned Mm -hmm. but they don't want them to become established here so that is it's i thought it was a cool fear but it was also something that's like it's a good like uh, public service announcement uh, announcement kind of too because this is something that actually if this happens this will affect you a lot if you love fishing like we do so how would you say what kind of fear would that be that's that's a rational one that's (laughs) it's very very rational it's right on the doorstep yes so we need to take it seriously yeah okay so we have one more fear Ooh, one more fear and that's actually me again because we picked five and it's uneven so i thought i'd do the last <laughs> one why not so hypothermia Ooh, i know we talked a little bit about that in our in our two podcasts ago about fall fishing or fishing in the fall mm-hmm. and the cold temperatures but hypothermia is something that is very scary and terrifying because thousands of people die every year in Canada from hypothermia. Hmm. It's a big problem. Thousands, that's crazy. Yeah, thousands. So, interestingly enough, if you didn't know this, a normal body temperature is approximately 37 degrees, right? Mm-hmm. Or 99 degrees Fahrenheit for our American listeners. So, when this is interesting, when your core, the core body temperature in your body drops by 1 or 2 degrees, or if your body is exposed to severe cold, It increases your risk for all these harmful effects that I'm going to tell you. They're terrifying. So first of all, let's go through. There's three stages. Did you know this? There's three stages of hypothermia.
1: I know one of them is you go crazy, but that's all I know.
0: (laughs) So stage one is when your body temperature temperature drops by one or two degrees, like I mentioned. What happens? Well, you start shivering, you get goosebumps on your skin and your hands become numb. Now, as a fisherman, as an ice fisherman, probably this has (laughs) happened to you multiple times, right? Yes. You're like, it's stage one hypothermia. Huh. No big deal, right? You may notice that your breath becomes quick and shallow and you may feel increasingly tired or sick to your stomach. That just sounds like a regular day ice fishing for me. <laughs> <laughs> but you also may experience a warm sensation, which means your body is entering stage two, which gets mm. even more terrifying. Yeah, this
1: is the this is the part that I've heard before that's that's bizarre.
0: Yeah. So stage two, your body temperature has dropped by almost four degrees and you're shivering strong you ever had that's internal temperature too that's not
1: just like oh i'm cold on the outside like when your core temperature starts dropping that's that's huge danger
0: yeah and it says uncontrollable shivering you ever had like shivering that's just so crazy i hate
1: it when you get sick and you get like like shivers down to your bones like
0: it's the worst feeling yeah i've had that like when i had like a flu one time and i was Mm. shivering so uncontrollably My wife was like are you are you cold i'm like no i'm burning up but like my body was just shaking so you get that it says muscles are uncoordinated and movements are slow and labored you may suffer mild confusion you become pale your lips ears fingers and toes may turn blue so i'm hoping this doesn't describe (laughs) a normal ice fishing trip yeah (laughs) that
1: shouldn't get that far
0: now they actually gave us an easy checklist to see if you have stage two hypothermia. So you may be fishing. You're like, you know what? I'm cold, but I'm not that cold. I'm going to do this test to make sure that I'm not in stage two. Stage one is like, okay, you're cold. Stage two is like, now there's a problem. So here's the test. Try touching your thumb to your little finger. If you can't, your muscles are not working properly and you're experiencing stage two hypothermia. Mm -hmm.
1: That's a pretty... It seems like simple to do. Like, how could I not do that? But...
0: When your hands get cold and stiff, yeah. yeah. So that's oh. the test. So if you're ice fishing and, and say you weren't dressed properly or you fell in the water and you can't move your fingers together, your, your pinky and your thumb, you're in stage two hypothermia, you're which is- You're in grave danger. A grave danger. Make it's- phone calls,
1: get people to help you. Don't
0: rely yeah. on yourself at this point. <laughs> now stage three, your body temperature drops below 32. Oof. The shivering will stop, but you have trouble speaking, thinking, and walking. You may even develop amnesia. When your body temperature drops below 30, exposed skin becomes blue and puffy. It will be hard to move. Your muscles and your behavior become irrational. So you basically become crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Your heart may be beating quickly, but your pulse and breathing will decrease. At this stage, you are at the risk of dying. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is serious. This happens every year to ice fishermen.
1: I, I heard a, a story and this is going back. I get that probably... Fifteen years or so, but it was in the news of I think it was a hiker. I can't remember where exactly. It's fairly like in southern Ontario. Yeah, and I think it was it was a hiker. He got lost, started to get hypothermia, and then they found him. He was like hugging a tree with like underwear on. He had shed all his clothes because going through the symptoms, you start shivering, but then you get this warm feeling, and so you just don't think clearly. And you're like, oh, I'm 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 hot, I'm, I'm warm. and You start taking off your layers. And you just, you literally go crazy and these people, that just speeds up the hypothermia. Yeah.
0: Like, oh. You may think, you know what, that will never happen to me, but it happens every year, like we said. It can happen, you know, when you're ice fishing, it could Mm -hmm. happen when you're hunting in the fall, it could happen when you're hiking, like Andrew said. Mm -hmm. If it ever quickly gets colder than the the outside temperature, it can happen. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be like minus 50 outside for you to get hypothermia. So I looked it up. Do you, I
1: don't know if you have that, that temperature. Do you know what temperature it is that you can actually, there's a risk now of hypothermia? No. 10 degrees Celsius, anything less than 10 degrees Celsius. (laughs) So it's still like in the plus degrees, but like we were musky fishing the other day and it was, you know, nine degrees, eight degrees. Yeah. We can be at risk of hypothermia, even in like positive temperatures above freezing. It's still low enough that you can,
0: your core temperature can stop, start dropping. That's crazy. So what can you do to not get to stage two or stage three? Of course, always wear uh, clothing that's appropriate for the weather. You're going to want to wear synthetic or wool fabrics like mm-hmm. our last yeah. podcast sponsor, yeah. Wool Love. Yeah. A little shout out there. Some merino wool. That'll yep. keep you warm. And like I said, merino wool in general or wool, it pulls moisture away from the body, mm-hmm. which actually helps you uh, not get as cold. Yeah. You, don't, you don't want wet clothes. So- even ice fishing, like we'll
1: often open our jacket when we're walking out because we're, we're starting to sweat. Yeah. You don't want to be sweaty because as soon as you stop moving, now all this wet moisture is stuck to you and now you're at higher risk of hypothermia.
0: Yep. Make sure to dress in layers with a wind-resistant outer layer. You can remove the layers, like Andrew mm-hmm. said, if you get too hot and then put you know put them back on when you get cold. Make sure you wear warm socks, gloves, a hat, a scarf. If you're in cold weather and be sure to put a scarf over your nose to protect it. And this is on like really cold temperatures. Mm -hmm. You don't want to go ice fishing when it drops down to like minus 30 or colder and be like, oh, I forgot my hat. Well, there goes my ears. You know, like you need to have it. So what happens though, if you, if you do get hypothermia, we said all those terrible, terrifying symptoms. What should you do? If you, you were like, you know what? I have hypothermia right now and you're waiting for help. You've called for help. This is what you should do. Number one, find shelter. Number two, keep your muscles moving. So keep walking around. Make sure that you dry yourself. If possible, start a fire. Mm -hmm. Dry yourself. If your clothes are wet, take them off, dry them, stand by the fire, get warm. Wrap yourself in a blanket or you can actually, you know, it depends how close you are with your fishing buddy, but skin to skin contact is good Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it it transfers some heat. Uh, Drink warm, sweet liquids. And it says don't fight shivering. Shivering is your body trying to get heat. It's
1: keeping active. Yeah. Yeah.
0: and if if say you're fishing and your buddy has hypothermia and they're unconscious lay them down and avoid shaking or handling them roughly as uh they may have an irregular heartbeat so if you shake them you may think oh i need to get his body moving don't because their heartbeat may be irregular and that can cause uh, bad problems so you're, you're going to want to has to be yeah, themselves get moving. them warm a different way put on some blankets get a fire started all that stuff yeah. so that is very much a rational fear that yep. is something that it happens every year this podcast like you know we try to keep this entertaining but all of these things that we talked about yeah especially i would say the hypothermia is probably the biggest threat because th- that could happen to everyone how many mm-hmm. times have you probably been in stage two hypothermia
1: oh, I, I <laughs> more than i'd care to admit that's for sure
0: yeah so it it's terrifying and all these things you know we had what was the first one do you remember? Mad Tom. <laughs> Mad Tom, right? So that, that's something, that was a funny one. Yeah. You know, and then we had, you know, mountain lions, like that is crazy. Yeah. Okay. Grass carp, that is terrifying in so many levels. And then we had lightning. That yep. is, again. I don't even want to talk about that anymore. <laughs> and then we have hypothermia, which is so crazy. it sounds
1: like going ice fishing is an extreme sport or going fishing in general. Yeah. It's like an extreme sport. It is. You're taking Ang- your life in your hands. Anglers have it pretty tough. <laughs> So that's I, right, all you other guy playing hockey. That's a, that's a lazy sport. Just try and get yourself killed by going fishing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna go through some of our viewer on well our Instagram. I put a question up Ooh. and I asked a, bu- a bunch of people, "What is your biggest fishing fear?" And some of them are more funny. We're just okay. we don't have a lot of time, so I thought we could just go through and read some of the funny ones. This is a popular one. Angling up north says getting hooked to a thrashing musky. Oh oh oh. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Any fish? I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah huh. a lot of people said trouble hooks and a thrashing I, I've, fish. I've never
1: i've never had i've been hooked with trouble hooks but i've never thankfully had a fish on another trouble hook like at the same time that just terrifies me yeah yep. i've been, I've come close that pike almost got me
0: <laughs> yeah this guy named uncle brian carrot he says okay. <laughs> motor failure that is uh, a fear for me because yeah. like i've been out with guys in the middle of bigger lakes and their motor dies yep. several times and you're just like we are stranded. And sometimes you're like, oh, just call for help. Sometimes you're out there in like maybe early spring or late fall and there's no one out there. Yeah, And you could just, maybe then the lightning comes in and you're like, well, now I'm doomed. <laughs> That's a terrible one. This is one of my actual biggest fears and Andrew probably knows what it is.
1: Get, <laughs> what
0: is it? Snapping turtles? Yes. <laughs> Getting chomped on by a snapping turtle wading through dirty water. That, uh, snapping turtles terrify me. Yeah. We have another story about that, but we can't do it. We don't have enough time today. <laughs> we got a few stories about snapping yeah. turtles. This is a funny one. This guy says, when a raccoon comes out of nowhere. That's happened a few times, but Andrew has a pretty good story about a beaver coming out of nowhere.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. We're not going to
0: talk about that. Uh, had a few people say the Sasquatch.
1: Ooh, so yep. yeah. The North American Yeti.
0: Yep. Ooh. Spearing a wave so large in my tinner that I sink. <laughs> that's, a, that's what Mark yeah, Ben said. Yeah. Yep. Spearing a wave. That's when you go right through the middle of it. <laughs> a lot of people just said, Losing a giant fish is their biggest fear. That It's a fear, but not the exact fear we're talking about. Yeah. 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 A lot of people said hooks in their face. Yeah. Getting a hook in your arm, you're like, no problem. Getting one in your face or near your eye or in your eye, that is terrifying. Yeah. Losing a favorite lure. That's a big fear. Carson mm-hmm. Lockhart said that, losing a, a favorite lure.
1: <laughs> Sounds like he's speaking from personal experience. <laughs> yeah.
0: NW Outdoors, Brody says a dead body.
1: My uncle found one while fishing. Really? At, at the family cottage. And because it's it's on a river, so it turns out the guy had had a heart attack. He was one of the first ones at the cottages in the spring, and uh, I found a guy uh, hung up in a, a laydown. <laughs> and uh, apparently he had a heart attack or something or a, a stroke while he was on his dock, fell in the water, and unfortunately drowned. But he floated downstream until he got hung up, and my uncle was the
0: one who found him. <laughs> oh, that's that's that is terrible. <laughs> at least
1: that's what I've heard from the
0: family. So Paul E. Eighty Three, boat sinking in cold water, an inflatable life jacket. Doesn't fully fill up (laughs) because of cold air. (laughs) Well, Paul, thanks for that new fear. You know, actually we're going fishing with Paul this weekend. So (laughs) I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Uh... (laughs) So many people getting hooked by a treble hook. Yeah. So many people said that. Here's one that a lot of people mentioned. Getting shot by a hunter, duck hunting season. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a lot of the guys that are set up and you're fishing and sometimes a, some spray shot, you know. Yeah. Some I've know. had that happen. Yeah.
1: Yep. Like, like they are shooting clay pigeons uh, or skeet off the guy's property right over in front of the bay we were fishing and, and there's just a hail of pellets around you. It was ridiculous. Yeah.
0: I actually, quick side story, I got shot by a lady with a BB gun when I was fishing in my <laughs> kayak because she was shooting Canadian it's geese. It's not what
1: you think. It's not like, get off my property, no. you can't fish
0: here. No, I was I was silently fishing in my kayak years ago on a popular course of lake and hmm. all the Canada geese, if you've ever been up there, they go up on people's property. So this lady came out in hair rollers and a robe and she took out a, a pump action BB gun, started <laughs> pinging these things and she smoked my boat. And I was like, what the heck? And she's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't see yeah. you. And then she ran inside. <laughs> this is actually a good one. Jay Matthew says, the ball nipper.
1: <laughs> <laughs> good callback. Uh, the pacu.
0: Yeah. A lot of people have this fear hooking a bird. Andrew's done that <laughs> yeah, twice. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's great at it.
1: <laughs> and both times a successful
0: release. Yep. This is a big fear chadwick says this hooking someone else i think that's a bigger fear i'd rather hook myself obviously than hook someone mm-hmm. else especially a stranger <sighs> you see people like casting from shore and oh. people are walking by you know if i hooked andrew i'd feel bad but if it was some random guy if I hooked
1: jesse i'd laugh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, people say like getting a hook is it is scary i will say though having had it done or having done it myself and something yeah be careful about it you're not like willy nilly oh i don't care i'm gonna do it on purpose but it's not as bad yeah like it yeah, it wasn't as bad as as the whole idea of it is, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. It's the one fear well, that is actually I... less, is it's easier than what it seems. Yeah. It's, well, it's I took it out to for by. you.
0: That's why it went well. <laughs> fishing for nugs says, bird nesting my one and only rod when out no bank fishing. <laughs> That's terrible. Okay. Well, hey, do you... if you're
1: bank fishing, then you can still get back to your, your car or whatever. If you're out in the water and that happens. <laughs> yeah. You got to like paddle back, then get to your car.
0: Someone said a mustachioed stranger or relative. <laughs> that was my wife. <laughs> Shout out to my wife. Anyway, so these are, there's a ton of them. If I didn't get to yours, a lot of them were exactly the same. Actually, here's a funny one. Noobs at the boat launch. That is terrifying. I'm just kidding. It may be terrifying if they, you know, back out and almost, you know, back into your boat. That could be terrifying. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so many crazy fears. Hope you guys like this episode. We had a fun time preparing for this. <laughs> this is a fun one. Yeah. So very quickly, I thought we'd just talk about our plans for next season. So we're coming to the mm-hmm. end of season one, and I don't know how many more episodes are left in this season. We haven't decided yet. I think we're going to go. We're at thirty-four right now. That's right. We're winging it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but we are actually going to take a month and a half off. Yep. And uh, if you're a Patreon member,s don't worry. We'll pause your payments so you don't pay us four dollars extra. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> But for season two, we're actually, we're really excited because we're actually upgrading. Yes. So we are upgrading to be able to have guests on regularly because mm-hmm. we're going to be filming in a different location actually, but we're going to save that for, for another time. But <laughs> One thing that I'd like you guys to message us is who would you want to be on our show? Yeah. What guests would you like? And be realistic. Don't be like, I want you to get Kevin Van Dam on your show. No. I,
1: I have a couple of guests that I'd love to have. And and we're actually going to see if it might work out. I don't know if I should spoil it. And I, well, it's not spoiled because it's not confirmed at all. But a couple of guys I would love to have on the show is Pete Bowman and Angela Viola. Yeah, I would love to to talk to those guys and ask them questions that you know maybe they don't get asked all the time. <laughs> yeah, you some know they, their their lives are on TV for us to watch their their fishing experience and stuff. I've got I want to come up with some cool questions that maybe they don't get asked frequently.
0: Yeah, that'd be fun. I also had some good ideas of getting some employees from tackle shops and asking them their funniest yeah. uh, customer stories. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, Especially also, you
1: used to work at one, so yeah. you know that those stories exist. I know those stories exist.
0: <laughs> we want to get on Bobby Belmonte. Yeah, who is a fishing guide, and tournament guy that really actually awesome I had the guy. pleasure of fishing with. Actually, let's talk about that just for a second. <laughs> so um, I actually got to fish with my buddy Paul, and he took me out fishing. and surprised me to fish uh, with Bobby for a musky day on Monday. I had the day off work. It It was crazy. Highly recommended. I had to work. Yeah. I didn't invite Andrew (laughs) because I knew he couldn't make it. But we had a fantastic day. I learned. So I was grilling him all day long. Just question, question, question. This guy got us on musky. Like who can say Like if someone's like, oh, Jesse, take me out. And I I guaranteed want to catch a musky. I'd be like, you're screwed. (laughs) Bobby got us. I caught a 41 inch and I had another one come up the boat. He knew exactly where the fish were. He's like, there's a fish here for sure. Cast out five minutes there, had one in the net. Wow. Another spot. He's like, this spot here, dude, I was pulling up a double dog. Actually, I'll show you right here. So I caught my first fish on a nine inch gator tube, which Bobby was like, here, chuck this exact bait. The fish love it. Within five minutes, I caught a fish on this. The second time I was fishing this double dog, I just got.
1: Shout out to Waterwolf Lures, a previous sponsor for that one
0: too. Yeah. This thing came up and I had this musky squirrel right be- beside the boat completely missed it look at it. He, he headshot it <laughs> yeah so this musky grabbed the head of this bait and I guess just the way the hook was when I swung the hook it just popped out of his mouth but the teeth on this thing if you want to remember our interesting fishing fact from last week about muskie teeth this thing completely chewed the head of this thing and <laughs> split the eyeball right in half with his huge teeth but yeah Bobby was fantastic got to spend a good day fishing with my buddy Paul and me and Paul learned a lot from Bobby he's a very experienced and super chill angler mm-hmm. and I I honestly learned a lot from him. Me and Andrew. I was like, "Andrew, we got to book a day with this guy next <laughs> year." The guy is like, "Yeah. Guides everything, like crappy, walleye, smallmouth, largemouth, musky." Awesome. Actually,
1: so we I did we didn't mention that we went musky fishing you and I together. Yeah. Uh last weekend, and I actually succeeded in something I've been trying to do for years. Yes. So Talk about that. So that we'd fishing all day and we were joking, "We should have just stayed around the boat launch because there we rose a couple fish uh further up you know for where where we were but where we launched we moved three fish which was not bad yeah yeah and uh actually
0: the same fish three times (laughs) no i think it was two separate fish because there were there there was
1: two but we raised one of them i raised it twice and we came back he raised it again
0: yes so so we actually raised we had four follows
1: technically yeah Yeah. so anyways we we came back and i I tied on it's an old pikey chub jointed uh minnow like like what six eight inches it's about yeah about eight inches i think maybe seven inches uh, it's single jointed in the middle. It's, it's tore up. You can see like bits of wood exposed. It's like a cool, I, th- I think it was called like, black perch or something like that. The, the old pattern. Yeah. And my, actually my brother-in-law, uh, Jacob, he's the one who gave it to me and I, I traded him. I forget what bait I traded him for it. And sucker. <laughs> and I was like, I love this bait. And I, I didn't even have a rod I could cast it with before, but I made it my goal. I'm going to catch something on this. And I've, purposefully kept all the original terminal tackle so I, I sharpen those hooks those hooks are still some of the sharpest hooks in my tackle box they're yeah. insane original original split rings there's like rust all over it i'm like i i'm just gonna get this thing so it can catch and the action of this thing i love it in the water crazy wobble so oh, it's, it looks so good so anyways i i cast out right by the boat launch fired up by a weed bed and Couple of cranks of the handle, and all of a sudden, like boom! This this fish just hit, nailed it. Set the yeah. hook. It jumps through the air. I'm like, it's a muskie, and yeah. I got it on. I'm like yeah. Jesse, get the net. It's on the old bait. It's on the pipe. It's on the creek chub. It's on the creek chub, and I'm so excited. Yeah, we got some amazing shots of it with the lure in its mouth and the net. Uh, a couple of nice pictures. And despite the muskie is only 32 inches, it was
0: a gorgeous one. But beautiful.
1: It's yeah. my first muskie that really had like a good pattern on it. Yeah, and it was like a like mainly barred, a couple like spots in the bottom. Like yeah. it was really. It nice. was it was a gorgeous fish. So and- so, my goal for two years is I'm, or three years now is I'm going to catch a muskie on this bait and then I'm going to retire the bait. So, that bait has been officially retired. Nice. It won't see the water again. I am in the market now for another, <laughs> I really love it for another large size pikey chub, like our creek chub pikey minnow, uh, the jointed one. But that one that's getting retired is going to be hung on the
0: wall with a picture of that muskie. So that's, that's nice. Andrew likes to do that. He buys old lures, catches one fish on it, takes a picture and then retires yeah. it. That's is-
1: that's the first lure I had that plan for. Yeah. So it's not the first lure I've retired, but it's the first one I've had that plan for.
0: That just goes to show you, you don't need all these fancy rubber baits to catch fish. You can use <laughs> 1950s crankbaits. <laughs> anyway, we're already over time in this episode, but we would like to thank everyone for being a listener uh season one like we said it's coming to an end season two is going to be if you thought season one was good Mm -hmm. thanks but season two is going to blow your socks off and
1: we're going to have a bit more content as well uh for patreon only content so those of you who are subscribed to our patreon there will be benefits some benefits for you guys to come
0: anyway we'd like to thank you for listening to episode 34 of the average ontario anglers fishing podcast and we will see you soon but before we end we have the quote of the week
1: (laughs) watch out for lightning